so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. The audio landscape has evolved significantly in the past few years, bringing with it opportunities for creators, brands, and marketers alike. In this special extended episode from Advertising Week's Great Minds at Work series, we examine this ever-expanding category. From original content, podcasts, and storytelling, to the platforms and technology supporting them, to the ways in which audio is being monetized and the brands who are leveraging these audiences. Good afternoon from the AW Studios here in New York City. My name is Michael Gewurzman. I'm the Global Programming Director here at Advertising Week, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to another edition of our Great Minds at Work series, which this month focuses on the world of audio and podcasts. Now, over the course of around 90 minutes, we're going to explore audio content and storytelling, the ways in which that content is being monetized, and the strategies that brands are putting into leveraging these platforms. And we have the best in the business here today to provide these perspectives, so let's jump right in. We have five great conversations for you, including one that's presented by our friends over at Veritonic. Kicking it off, our moderator for the day, Ashley Carmen of The Verge, will be speaking with the President and Chief Operating Officer at Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Network, Ty Randolph. And after that, she'll sit down with J.D. Crowley, the Chief Digital Officer at Odyssey. It's all going to move really quickly, so get comfortable, enjoy, and I'll see you back here soon. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. I'm really excited to be here. And our first guest of the day is Ty Randolph, the president and COO of Laugh Out Loud Network, a brand that specializes in creating comedy and culture content, specifically that which amplifies voices of color. Thanks so much for being here, Ty. Ashley, thanks for having me. Really excited to chat. Yeah, so I know the LOL Network has a lot of different businesses, I think maybe like four. So could, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about those businesses and what you guys do? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, LOL was founded about four years ago as Kevin Hart's vision for the future of comedy. Um, you know, we started as um, an OT, a streaming OTT um, app and have really evolved since then. And we have four distinct lines of business. Uh, we have LOL Studios, which develops content for the broader network, our broader network, but also um, for third parties. So we've produced shows for YouTube. We have a first look with NBCU Peacock um, and a 40,000 square foot soundstage out in Canoga Park where we physically produce a ton of our own stuff. Um, we have LOL uh, X, which is our experiential division. Uh, we produce um, live comedy events and tours. We've partnered with the likes of Nick Cannon and Viacom for the Wild and Out tour. We have some really exciting things planned in 2022 and beyond as the world opens back up and, and we can gather in person. Uh, but we have like big virtual partnerships, uh, like Just for Laughs every year, where you know we we try to do what we can, um, you know, through virtual or in-person connections to keeping the world to keep the world laughing together, literally. Um, and then we have LOL Network, which is our 
fast channel, ad supported fast channel and sort of social streaming ecosystem uh, that has access to 100 million total households via a fast channel that's distributed via partners like Pluto and Zumo and Roku uh, and of course Peacock, right, who is a strategic partner of ours. Uh, we work with a lot of brands across that network and social, the likes of Lyft and P&G. And then, you know, the focus of our conversation today is LOL Audio, um, which is the fourth division. We have a longtime partnership with SiriusXM and Pandora. We have an LOL radio channel on SiriusXM um, with a number of shows, one anchored by Kevin Hart and um, sort of his group of longtime friends, the Plastic Cup Boys. We have uh, shows with, you know, um, stable staple comedians like Earthquake, who um, has been entertaining audiences since the days of Deaf Comedy Jam, uh, but really, you know, um, interesting um, perspectives on on sort of like, you know, everyday issues like Date Night with Chris and Vanessa Spencer. And then we recently launched our first podcast in partnership um, with uh, with Stitcher, which was, was recently acquired by SiriusXM, and that's Comedy Goal Mines, which is hosted by Kevin Hart, uh, and he goes inside the minds of some of the, the greatest comedians alive, um, including Seinfeld and Eddie Murphy and Amy Schumer. It's a pretty fantastic roster. Uh, we have an audiobook deal with Simon & Schuster with a, a multi-volume um, sort of audio imprint there, and then we have a record label called LOL Records, so um, we haven't been busy at all. <laughs> so I guess I'm curious because, you know, you've clearly been in audio for a long time. The pod, this podcast, again, the term always gets, people get very, you know, angry, heated about the term, but like the term podcast, you have a podcast. Um, what is so appealing to you about audio? Why is that such a big focus of the business? Yeah, you know, our our broader programming strategy for the business is comedy and color whenever, wherever our audience wants to laugh. And, you know, the cool thing about audio is it's often a companion entertainment experience. You can do it while you're doing other things. And it allows us to be able to deliver our value proposition um, in a lot of these in-between moments, right? And, you know, some interestingly enough, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of attention, you know, really being focused during peak hours where audio consumption was becoming the primary um, entertainment experience as people who were stuck in their houses look to diversify their, their normal media consumption. Um, you know, but with SiriusXM, we still spend a lot of times in our cars, right? But between point A and point B, uh, when you're at the gym, when you're walking down the street, when you're dropping the kids off, um, audio is often what's following us around. And so, um, you know, this, this idea of being able to um, take advantage of that attention and being able to build a, a meaningful relationship throughout the day with consumers um, made audio not just sort of like a no-brainer, but a must-do for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm so curious because you have such a, a big and important video business as well. Mm -hmm. How do you sort of decide what ideas are good for audio versus what might thrive on video? That's a really, really good question. And I think what we're seeing in the industry is a sort of like um, reflexive opportunity, right? Where we try to create what we call extensible IP. So we take a, a, an idea which has um, entertainment and comedy and some sort of conversation value at its core, and we want to drop it into the funnel of those business lines that I just described, and so that we can figure out the best way to exploit them. And, and when we really, really get excited about our job at serving more than one opportunity, I'll give you an example. Um, we have a, a 
um, stand-up platform, a stand-up franchise called Comedy in Color, where we have um, you know filmed and recorded micro stand-up specials from over 300 comedians that represent over 30 countries around the world. This first came to life as an experience in Montreal at Just for Laughs um, Comedy Festival every year. So we've got people in seats in a comedy club environment enjoying comedy together, and we rotate all these brilliant comedians from around the globe out of there. We filmed that special, and that special has been distributed across our LOL network, so you can consume it on all of those channels that I just talked to you about, Peacock and Pluto and Tubi and, and Roku. Um, but then we took that content and reimagined it for an audio book with Simon and & Schuster. We brought Laurel back on to host it and took people back to JFL through his narration, right? Because JFL is, a, is sort of a, a comedy industry inside baseball thing, but opened it up to a consumer audience. And and that that to us is, is when, it, when it's gold, right? Where one core story can be um, sort of imagined across several mediums. And I think the last stat I saw, and obviously, correct me if there's a more up-to-date one, but I think I saw that you work with like 300 comedians in 30 countries. Um, and that was so fascinating to me because mm-hmm. I do feel like comedy doesn't always translate across borders. So I'm very curious how you pull that off. Like, Do you work with producers on the ground? How do you make this comedy translate around the world? Sure. Um, so you're right. Laughter is universal. Comedy can be very... Um, regional. Um, It could be sort of like very culturally specific. There are a lot of nuances about what makes a joke. Everyone understands a smile, but the joke doesn't necessarily land in all places. Um, Look, we've got a huge um, advantage in having Kevin Hart, who's the founder and chairman, who actually is a global comedian, right? He tours across the world, fills arenas um, and, and, um, you know, in in huge stages, uh, you know, sort of the world over. So, in terms of a curator and an endorser of the global comedians that we bring to the table, having him at the helm saying, hey, this person is funny, really helps to translate, right? Sort of like cross continents. But then the partnerships for us are so important. I've mentioned Just for Laughs a couple times here, and they're a big global comedy festival, the biggest global comedy festival in the world. So our biggest global activation, sort of from an experiential perspective, and when we've shot a lot of these comedians, has been at that stage because it brings together people from all over the world, right? And um, and then though, sort of where we distribute the different content does vary, right? Depending on sort of like what that particular comedian sensibility was or where they may have the most recognition. The idea though is for us to find these through lines that, that really do have a global connective tissue. And then for a moment, just kind of looking at the industry as a whole, you know, obviously your, one of your goals with the LOL Network is to amplify voices of color. And I'm just curious, when you're kind of looking at the audio space, how do you feel like the industry is doing about this? I know there's been definitely some, you know, noise and interest in trying yeah. to get a more diverse group of creators on board. But yeah. I'm just curious when you're looking at the industry, what do you see and what are your goals there? Sure. I see not enough representation, <laughs> to be to be quite frank. I mean, I'm really proud of some of the work that's happening across the broader, you know, K-Heart enterprise. Um, you know, Kevin has um, a deal with Audible and Charlemagne um, that's just focused on that, right? Like bringing audiobooks to life with diverse perspectives from diverse storytellers, um, you know, our, our, from an LOL perspective on LOL radio and now the sort of podcast business that we're building out. 
now. Uh, diversity is our focus. We always say we're diverse by design. We don't, we're not doing it because of a mandate. But I think what happens is you really need to have companies where the leadership is diverse and where the employee base is diverse. Um, to, to have a sensibility for and an appetite for and to really advocate for, for these voices. And what's interesting is, you know, I always say, I used to have this saying when we started the company and we would be asked, you know, sort of why the focus on multicultural. And I would say that, well, you know, that's what the world looks like, right? And when you look at, you know, millennials of color, they're really control, millennials and younger of color are really driving consumption, you know, from a social perspective and, and setting the trends and having this really halo sort of general market effect. But specifically, you know, when we're talking about black and brown audiences and audio consumption, you know, what we found is it's not been sort of an either or, and, and we've had the same conversation with cord cutting, it's kind of been all of the above. Um, you know, find, we find that these audiences over index when we're on AVOD platforms, over index on audio. So these are just hypermedia consumers and influencers. And our goal is to say, we really want to cater, you know, like you find an underserved audience, and then we want to sort of super serve super serve them and, and, and that's why we've been so deliberate about comedy and color in audio and everywhere so we're excited about what we can do to, to bring more unique voices to the table and as far as your work with brands I know you recently partnered with Headspace for a really cool partnership so I was curious mm -hmm. if you could talk a little bit about that and then also what your work with brands looks like is this kind of indicative of what you typically do or is this kind of special yeah um, you know early on when we, when we launched the initial LOL app, right, the mobile and Android app, we did so in partnership with brands. So, you know, one of our biggest shows out of the gate was Kevin Hart Lift Legend. And as the title would indicate, um, you know, it was co-produced with a brand partner. And we, you know, sure, you know, there's media, audio media, sort of streaming media across our ecosystem. And we put those into packages. But we really think about brands as co-storytellers, right? And the brands that we work with have been really fantastic storytellers. They share our passion for entertaining the audience. And then it's, okay, how do you organically weave in that brand message and value proposition? But we go in and we say, hey, this is gonna be an entertainment first. We're gonna put the consumer first in this experience. And we've had some incredible brand partners from Headspace to Old Spice and P&G, AT&T, who've really sort of like, you know, met us in, in that mission. Um, it, for Headspace, what was really interesting is, you know, we that we forged that partnership during the pandemic, um, you know, at a time when I think we all could use a reason to smile, we could all use a reason to take a beat. And what was was interesting in terms of um, how we talk about sort of uh, my, our head of marketing, Falaya Lasaki, has this this term, right piece, right place, and. We knew, you know, they came to us actually and said, hey, we are looking to make meditation more accessible, right? Like, it seems like, oh, you have to be in this sort of like really quiet, you know, zen out space and you have to be in the, but how do you get folks to not to, to, to think this is something that's for me too, right? It's not just for like self-proclaimed yogis, if you will. And comedy, right, really sort of lowers that barrier and uh, we did a video series with them that we distributed across YouTube and our social uh, platforms um, you know Kevin hosted segments we had folks like Asam Minaj on and it really just lowered the barrier to entry to to meditation and it was hey come on this guided meditation with me and it wasn't too serious but it was very relaxing we also created content for their app as well 
And so this idea that, you know, the content would work whether you had sound on or sound off and that, you know, like we said, comedy sometimes can be a little bit more nuanced, but laughter and smiling and dropping your shoulders, that's something universally that that we all need to do. And it's very indicative of the type of partnerships that we have. That didn't feel like something that an advertiser said, like, okay, stick our brand message in here. Our mission is to keep the world laughing together. You know, their mission is about, you know, sort of like, creating a more mindful world those those two objectives were were really locks that amazing so unfortunately we are almost at time but i want to be able to give people something to listen to so what uh give us some shows that you might want people to check out or what they can listen to or if you have any other upcoming projects you want to tease anything at all so people can check it out Absolutely. Well, on the audio space, you should really tune in to LOL Radio on SiriusXM. Um, we've got a ton of amazing shows. Uh, I'm not just saying this because it's ours, but Comedy Goldmines is a fantastic show. Um, I actually have a podcast called The Sugar on Stitcher, which is um, a brown mom's guide to the sweet life. So if you're a mom and you're looking for um, some some levity and some light, that that's for you. Uh, you know, on the video side, we just made a series of really exciting announcements uh, in partnership with uh, Peacock. And so this summer, we're very excited about the entertainment that we have rolling out, including um, Kevin's hosting a, a talk show um, that's like nothing you've ever seen called Heart to Heart. Uh, we're creating some really fun content around the Olympics with Snoop. Um, so yeah, lo- lots of fun stuff to, to, to check out. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Ty. Thank you so much, Ashley. And I will be back soon with J.D. Crowley of Odyssey. And I'm back. I'm here with J.D. Crowley, the Chief Digital Officer of Odyssey, formerly known as Entercom. Hey, J.D. Hey, Ashley. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I know I've told you this before, but chief digital officer is like a huge title that is very ambiguous. So can you talk a little bit about what your day to day slash what you oversee and also tell us a little bit more about Odyssey? Sure, sure. So um, so I oversee four different lines of business here at Odyssey, Uh, our digital audio business, which is uh, made up of our podcast business, which is obviously growing very, very quickly in a very exciting and dynamic uh, part of the company and the space overall. We also have a streaming platform business, used to be called radio.com. We recently rebranded it along with the company to the Odyssey platform. Everything from mobile apps, connected cars, connected televisions, smart speakers, websites, etc. cetera. Um, we have a digital agency that has several thousand clients across the country uh, for which we are their digital agency of record. And we handle everything from connected TV to search engine marketing, social and mobile, et cetera. Uh, and then most recently, we've entered into the sports betting space with a company called QL Gaming Group we acquired, which helps make sports bettors uh, better, if you will, and leans into our prowess in sports. Um, Odyssey overall as a company um, is, is thought of as a radio company. Traditionally, it's the second largest radio company in the United States and was born of the combination of the CBS radio assets that were spun off as well as what were the Endercom assets before. But what's unique about Odyssey's radio platform is we really focus on the top 50 markets in the US with a really heavy bent in spoken word. 
news, sports, uh, talk, and even our music stations have many big spoken word personalities. And that DNA of spoken word is what has allowed us to build arguably one of the best podcast divisions in the in the country, we believe, um, both from a quality standpoint as well as a scale standpoint. We're a large player there, as well as some unique strengths when it comes to streaming. Uh, and our future is obviously multi-platform, as is every media company today. And uh, while we're while we still have 170 million listeners on the broadcast side, we now have tens of millions on our digital platforms and another you know set of tens of millions, both domestically as well as internationally in the podcast business, all quickly growing. I know we're going back a little bit here, but I, I always think it's interesting. I know people get very heated about what is a podcast, but I'm curious how you sort of differentiate between your radio programming and podcasting and sort of what makes them thrive separately. Sure. That's a great question. So first of all, let's start with the listener, because that's where really this all starts and ends. Um, um, with all due respect to our buy side friends who are watching this, we have to make great content that engages listeners. And so, you know, the listener is pretty straightforward. Uh, she wants to consume whatever content she wants to consume on whatever device at whatever time uh, that really fits her schedule, whether that originally was broadcast on the radio and then republished as a podcast, whether that's a live stream or something that was broadcast a few minutes ago that's being streamed on delay, whether it's a short form piece of content on a smart speaker that fits the moment in her day, say the news update in the morning. Uh, whether it's something that she finds on the website or even on YouTube that may have originated as a podcast. So we try to make sure that we're there to meet the listener wherever and whenever they want to consume it. Now, when we think about original content that's created for on-demand consumption, so what we traditionally think of as podcasting, there is a different DNA and sensibility, obviously, in how we create that content. And of course, radio content is listened to by hundreds of millions of Americans, uh, many of them in, through speakers, whether in their car, at their place of work, at a store, or even at home. Smart speakers are the same way. Most podcast consumption, as you know, happens today, at least through headphones and on a mobile device. And so we're still hearing podcasts coming through cars, through smart speakers. But it is a very intimate media. And so it's created in a way that is uh, that is more intimate. Also, it's not measured by the traditional Nielsen ratings that broadcast radio is measured by. And so you can create formats in a very different way. Measurement really does drive the creativity. And obviously, that's why from an advertiser perspective, it is so effective. So we think less about is this a podcast? Is this live radio? Is this uh, streamed? Is this a time shifted piece of content and more about Let's create the content for the right distribution channel for the right storyteller, and then let's cut it and slice it and put it on, on different platforms so that we can do the best job of meeting the user's expectations as we can. And obviously, the transition from the Radio.com app to the Odyssey app is kind mm -hmm. of a big deal. I mean, Radio.com is a name. Okay. So I'm curious if you can kind of talk about the vision here. Like, what's the goal with the Odyssey app, and what do you plan to do with it? Sure. It's interesting. You know, the part of radio.com and we had a really tough decision as to whether or not we were going to retain that or rebrand when we rebranded the company. And we did think it was important in today's world where so many media companies have moved from a house of brands into a branded house, if you will, that the company and the app share the same name. It's just a clarity of vision for our audience, for our advertisers, for consumers, for our employees and for our partners. So we believed we needed one name. You know, the biggest challenge, actually, with the radio.com app was not the radio part. It was the dot com part. Right. The, the, the world is an app based world, increasingly with smart speakers, connected devices, voice, um, the dot com we had certainly outgrown. And so 
consumers know radio. They actually have really high affinity for radio. The NPS on radio is really uh, significant. And you see in the other streamers uh, with which we both compete and partner, you know, Apple Music, uh, Pandora, Spotify, and others, the word radio means something very specific in those contexts and consumers do like it a lot. And so we didn't really have an issue with radio. Um, but audio is broader than radio. So radio is a product. There's, of course, as we talked about, there's podcasts, there's clips, there's uh, short form playlists, there's long form playlists. And we want those delivered across a number of different platforms and interfaces. So Odyssey became the name and Odyssey is really all things audio. Now today, the radio.com platform is good for listening to your favorite radio stations. We have now uh, Odyssey owns about 235 radio stations, but we have over a thousand stations on the platform covering more than a hundred markets. We have a number of great affiliate partners and we're adding more all the time, both big radio groups who want to reach audiences on our platform, as well as independent broadcasters, even international broadcasters. So we're going to keep adding stations and have a really clear vision there. And we think that's a unique value prop, but it's, it's not enough, right? And so we, we now obviously have over a million podcasts on the platform. We're also adding exclusive content, whether that's um, third-party podcast content that we license exclusively, whether it's stuff our podcast uh, teams at Pineapple and Cadence create, who are arguably some of the best studios in the business, uh, whether that's binge windows of these shows uh, that we've done a couple of times so far this year very successfully, or even original live programming that's created just for the app and over-the-top show, as we would say in video. Um, and so we see a vision there. And we also have announced that we're bringing out exclusive stations. And so these are what you'll find on let's say a Pandora type experience where users can skip songs, they're generated for the user. But our approach is a little bit different. We do believe in the power of creators. We like to be one of the most creator friendly audio companies in the marketplace, whether that's podcast creators, or in this case, whether that's curators who curate experiences for audiences. And so in our interactive radio stations, you will see things like uh, storytelling from a host. An artist may take over a station and may be able to create stories in spoken word that run in between tracks. Our uh, curators are actually picking the playlists. They may run in different orders for you and me, and obviously we can have them interactive, but they're really crafted in the same way we craft our broadcast linear radio stations, but just crafted for an interactive digital environment. So we're leaning hard into that. And you'll see more on-demand music, interactivity, even social audio features and social graph features coming into the app over the next several months. So whenever I hear about a company really getting into the podcasting app business, I always think, okay, so you, do you want to compete with Apple and now Spotify, who's really kind of gunning for it? Is that sort of the goal here? Or is it more like for these like radio superfans and podcast superfans who want that exclusive content? Look, I think Spotify, Apple, uh, Amazon, uh, a number of our other partners have done really great work and we partner with all of them. We, we enjoy our partnerships with all of them and they've been great to us. We work with Spotify and a number of shows. Um, we also have our own platform, right? So we are an all of the above strategy. We want to be a place where great creators can create great content and build audiences. And we want to build our own platform. So I think less about competing. Uh, this is not a winner-take-all environment, and the TAM for digital audio consumption is growing massively, already has, and will grow over the next several years. So we believe there's a part of that pie that are folks who are radio superfans but who want more out of a platform. There's also digital audio listeners but who want their favorite radio station, and we believe we can serve that. And then, yeah, there will be some exclusive content opportunities, but we will continue to work with everybody in the market. We just want the biggest audiences and the best content. And I'm so bummed we only have 15 minutes, so I want to make sure I at least get one more question about yeah. brands and advertising. So I know you recently acquired Podcorn. Can you talk just a little mm -hmm. bit about the acquisition there and the strategy behind it? Sure. We're super excited about that business. David and Agnes, the co-founders, who originally created FameBit, 
which they sold to YouTube, um, which became YouTube Brand Connect. Uh, when they left Google, they decided to create an influencer marketplace just like they did at FameBit for podcasting. And we're so fortunate to have that in our market. Uh, in our marketplace offering now, it's growing rapidly. It's a uh, it's an open platform that allows uh, podcasters. We've got now nearly fifty thousand on the platform uh, and growing. Let, let's check back next week. It may be up to sixty. And uh, advertisers can come and either through self service or managed service find hundreds and hundreds of creators that fit their campaign objectives. But those creators create host red ads. It's not a programmatic platform. Nothing wrong with that. We're in that business too. But this is really about engagement and influencers. And you know, Ashley, we see the influencer marketplace, influencer advertising marketplace. That's a fifteen billion dollar marketplace. The podcasting marketplace is growing rapidly, fastest growing segment of media. But right now, it's still about a billion dollars. And we know there are advertisers who buy influencer marketing on social and video who want to get into podcasts, but don't know how to buy HostRed at scale across a big network of creators. And we think we've uniquely solved that problem with Podcorn. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Again, I wish we had more time to talk, but this was a great Same discussion. Here. So thank, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Ashley. Awesome. And I'm sending this right back to Michael now. Thanks so much, Ashley. And thank you to Ty and JD for joining us today. Up next, we have a great conversation presented by Veritonic all about what audio strategies look like for brands today. We're going to hear about the marketer and brand roles, the platforms that support them, and the data that helps them make every decision that they make. You're in for some incredible insights, so stick around because that conversation happens live right after this. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Michael. And I have Jessica Hubbard from Spotify. And, oops, sorry. And Laura McGuire from Main Music Studio. Uh, so I'm Scott Simonelli. I'm the founder and CEO of Veritonic. And we're going to talk today about brands and audio and how brands are evolving and embracing what's happening in the, in the world of audio, which is really exploding in a lot of different ways. And there's a lot of challenges that come along with that. So. First, let's have Jessica and Lauren introduce themselves. Uh, Jessica, go ahead. Excellent. Hi, it's so great to be here. Jessica Hubbard. I lead global ad effectiveness measurement uh, for Spotify. So that includes audio measurement um, across our music and podcast inventory, as well as just our broader measurement for our suite, including video and display. Lauren? Hi, I'm Lauren McGuire. I'm president of Made Music Studio. Uh, we are a global sonic studio that has been creating brand assets for television, entertainment spaces, and brands um, for over 24 years. Awesome. All right, well, this should be a lot of fun, so let's dig in. So, uh, as I said, I'm Scott Simonelli, uh, the CEO of Veritonic, and, and brands use Veritonic uh, and our analytics and our platform to know that their audio marketing is resonating with their customers and their consumers. And there's a lot of different ways that people use audio. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways that audio marketing kind of touches brands. And so we couldn't have a better panel today. And we certainly don't have to talk to Jessica and Lauren about why sound is important and why audio is important. And what would really be interesting to cover today is how the audio space, and, and we kind of can say the audio space today, which you might not have been able to say a few years ago, has evolved and, and how it's developed. And that's really a combination of smart speakers and AirPods and Spotify 
And brands having uh, you know, this experience and this ability to reach their audiences in different ways, but also experiencing that themselves. So if I work for a big company, I, I can hear podcasts and I can hear ads on podcasts and I can relate to that. And my, my children, my family, everybody around me is experiencing audio in all these different ways. And so let's start first with Jessica. You know, your clients are brands coming to Spotify and, and you're looking at research and looking at different things and different ways they use advertising uh, effectively. Do you see a shift? Do you see an emphasis on audio happening uh, when people are kind of coming in the door? And, and what's what's changing there? How's it evolving? Yes, absolutely. I think brands are feeling the growing emphasis on audio in a variety of ways. And, you know, they're recognizing the time spent of consumers across all audio, including Spotify. Um, but we really observe brands in all parts of the journey. And some of the brands are really brand new, kind of dipping their toe in and, and asking, does digital audio work? Like trying to figure out how that incorporates into their broader media planning. So they're really interested in you know, is their audience on Spotify, especially if their audience is on Spotify and nowhere else, like they're, they're really interested in like incremental reach and how to, how to bolster their media plan and reach more people in more places. Um, so that's really, they're, they're focused on that as well as, you know, how to tap into their audience, you know, whether that's using their own kind of CRM understanding and audience segmentation or tapping into Spotify first party data and tools to really craft their message and, and air it in the right place at the right time. But then at the other end of that spectrum, we have brands we've been working with for quite a long time, and they've proven that audio is an important tool in their toolkit. So for them, they've really shifted and they're more interested in like how to maximize that investment. So we're running research studies and measurement studies. They're playing around with different creative segmentations, um, different targeting strategies, using their ad formats in combination to really just figure out how to make that investment stronger tomorrow than it is today. And with those clients, my team does a lot of hypothesis testing, um, to really make sure that we're continuing to in increase their in investment and their confidence in, in Spotify as a partner. Okay, great. And so you have this art and science crossroads, right? Now you're, that's a lot of the science side of it. Okay, now Lauren, Sonic branding has been around for as long as the human existence. Uh, it just was called something else. So what's your perspective on this and, and how it kind of ties into the world today? Yeah, I would say we kind of look back at NBC 1929 as sort of the, the grandfather of sonic branding and it, and it remains the same today. I'd say in addition to uh, what Jessica is talking about and digital audio, um, never mind, I think that that is pushing also a, a terrestrial radio changeover, but UX UI has become really important. As people, everybody has an app, everybody has digital touch points, and as technology moves forward and the pandemic has made this shift to mobile ordering, um, mobile interactions. How do we take Sonic and cross those bridges between those journeys, between advertising, between the actual mobile experience, between UX, UI, between robots, which more and more companies are, are looking to evolve now. So I think those are the, the two things that primarily push our clients to Sonic branding. And with that, the creative and the art has changed to it as well. That's a, that's a great point. And I think you, know, you look at people still in this day, I hear it every day. I'm, I'm sure you both hear it. You know, the jingle, you know, kind of connotation of sonic branding of just, of just the audio logo, which is kind of like an iceberg, right? You just have this, this maybe mnemonic or this thing that's, that people know or they remember, and they're very effective, right? You know, we just launched the audio logo index for the fifth year. And, it, and it's a very big conversation starter, starter of putting data 
behind you know the world's uh, most prominent brands and and the ones that use sound uh, the most effectively and in some cases not very effectively. So back back to you, Lauren. You know where do you see the kind of that crossroads for you? Like you talked a lot about how people are using sonic branding today. What would you say to somebody who's like, oh, that's just a jingle, or that's just this? Like you know you're just going to make me the NBC thing. How do you, how do you tie that into the data that Jessica is kind of referring to and the audio advertising world and all these other things? Yeah. So um, first of all, I am not anti-jingle. Um, there's, some, <laughs> there's some folks that are. There's some sort of sonic branding purist. Okay I don't know. Jingle. Yeah, um, I, I'm not. Um, you know, I came from the the advertising agency that made the Aflac Duck, and you can call that sonic branding as well. And I think effective sonic branding can take a lot of forms and functions. It's really about what anybody is trying to achieve. So uh, recall, attribution, recognition. You're going to take a certain approach to that. Um, if it's about emotional connection, I want to end my spots, audio spots, my broadcast spots um, with a strong emotional connection, or there's a disconnect between the brand that we're trying to put forward and the brand that we are, that would be done in a different way. Um, if you want to really be thinking about um, UX, UI, and the whole experience and your product forward, you're going to take a different approach. So just like any brand or strategy discipline, it's about the outcomes or the goals. What's the ROI that you're looking to change? And it's going to take you down very different paths when it comes to, I guess you could put it all under the heading of sonic branding. Um, but you, at least for us, we, we never want to limit it to, it needs to be the last two and a half seconds of your, of your commercials or your spots. Um, and I think voice and underscore becomes a big topic in these conversations as well, especially when it comes to digital audio. If you can tune into any point in a commercial and know which brand is talking to you, that's really powerful. And there's certain brands that do that really well and it's all done through audio. That's a great, that's a great point. Actually a good way to kick it back to Jessica. So who's looking for, you know, are people coming in looking for these kind of different data points? Do they have that mindset that Lauren described of my brand should be recognizable at any point in this ad? And, and where, where's that spectrum? I'm sure you get it all, you know, being at a platform as broad as Spotify. Like what, what are people looking for? Definitely a spectrum for sure. Some clients are very in tune with wanting to drive that ROI, the whether they're looking to build a new brand or whether they're an established brand and it's really about tapping into a new consumer to drive a new outcome with that specific key audience. Um, but we really do see it all. And from a creative perspective, like one of the remits of my team is to pull out best practices and trends and performance. It's actually, we're in the middle of doing that right now, our benchmark season, if you will. And from a creative perspective, we see a lot of different things work. It's easy to say, what's the winning formula? How do we, how do we do this? Right. But in reality, if there were a winning formula, everyone would do it the same way. And then no one would stand out and, and have anything that really resonates in a, in a different and meaningful way. Um, so, you know, for Spotify, something you might see is, okay, music, it's so important for your platform. Like, what do we do? Do we incorporate music in our ads or not? And we've seen really great ways that brands break through with silence and they stand apart from the rest of the listening experience, whereas others totally tap into that mindset and incorporate music and stand out just as well. Um, so when you look at all of that data in aggregate, um, you really do see that it's most important, as Lauren was saying, like, what do you want to achieve as a brand and, and where do you want to um, make that those inroads um, so that you're remaining true to your, your brand personality and what you want to achieve? 
And how much of that is, is today, like, you know, you see this evolution of data as people start to take more chances. For example, like, I thought Aflac is a great example of that's amazing sonic branding, if you think about it. But you wouldn't, when you think of audio logos, like, you know, you might not think of that, right? And that's definitely took somebody saying, I'm going to think outside the box here and take this chance. How much um, do you feel that people are looking for data to, to take those chances or, or they're kind of just using data more passively? Do you think people are, I guess, proactively using data or kind of just doing it to check the box still? Because it's still, it's still new for audio. So there's no yep. standards for that. Yeah, de definitely, definitely a variety. I think internally, we're very much so tapping into data and investing in how to do more research that helps us have audio creative excellence and, and thought leadership. So that's working with partners like, like Veritonic, of course, um, running research at scale for all the assets we produce. So how can we be smarter and have just like a greater understanding for brands? Uh, on an individual level, we have many brand relationships who are always using data. Like we'll run, for example, a, bra a brand lift research study with a large um, technology company like they uncovered through our brand lift that two of their key consumer um, segments were resonating incredibly, responding very differently to the advertising. Like favorability and purchase intent was polar opposites amongst these audiences. And it washed out in the aggregate level. But when you looked individually, it really pointed out to them the importance of using different creative approaches. They were, they were speaking to everyone the same way. And what you really need to do is build creative that's specific for that message that's important to that audience so you can ultimately change the consumer behavior. So now they have different creative approaches, they are thinking about their audience segmentation differently, and that's helping them evolve um, in terms of their, their strategic approach on Spotify. Another example in the QSR space, like the, this brand really tapped into our in-car capabilities, right? Like you're, you're a QSR, you want to be able to be reaching people when they're on the go, and we were able to uncover how effective those moments can be. So now it's a regular part of their strategy. And they're, they're speaking around that moment, incorporating day part capabilities as well when it's appropriate. And really that, that's how we see our strongest partnerships evolve when they are taking the data and the insights and applying it to the future campaigns. Great, well, let's, hope they, let's hope they can all do that. Um, actually, it's a good segue into creative. It sounds crazy. There's a lot of focus on different data points across the marketing landscape. You know. And, you know, Lauren, you'll be able to speak, hopefully, I would expect very, very, uh, is a very much an expert on this topic, which is the creative matters, right? The creative matters a lot. And, and you know, whether you, as much as you measure around it, if it's not good creative, you know, it's, it's not going to work. Um, but it also has to be, you know, what's good creative, right? People want best practices. They want the silver bullet. I should, I should use music or not, or I should use this voice or not. And we see a lot of research at Baritonic, like female voices are underused even though they're on, on average equal or more effective than male voices. We see this stuff all the time. So what would you say to somebody who is asking for best practice or guidelines around making you know, amazing and effective audio creative? So this is interesting because it's where the, the one creative person on the panel is going to come up against the research people. And, and what's 
I, you know, there are sometimes you look at, for us, we hold research as guidance and here's where, and there's certain things that Jessica is saying about targets, about markets. That's super important as we get into these places where hyper-targeting is really interesting and really effective when it comes to music and underscore. If somebody's listening to a certain genre of radio and then you target with them, that's fantastic. What's really interesting about sonic testing is over years, and I bet you've seen this, Scott, it changes. If you're really consistent in your creative, the appeal of something continues to go up. And you know, the, the piece of data that we have, the, the best tested thing that Made Music has created has been HBO Presents. It continues to grow year over year because generation over generation, you have a group who uh, HBO Presents Sopranos, HBO Presents Sex in the City, um, Girls, but the context of it, how you hold that piece of creative changes over time because of your brand experience. And the same is true for brands. So there's going to be creative that tests really well at the upfront and it's just like nailed it. There's gonna be creative that does not test well at the upfront because it's disruptive. But what are you actually going for? Do you want people to say, I love this sound? Or do you want them to say, I know who that, that commercial comes from? Or I like that brand or that changed my perception of that brand. So, um, you know, fantastic scores on, on pre and post is great, but sometimes we're like, no, let's disrupt this. Let's put something out there that gets people's attention. And over time, scores, especially in Sonic, unlike advertising, can change as they have their own place in, in culture, in brands, um, even pop culture. No, look, what works today is not gonna work tomorrow. What works for one audience doesn't work for another. And we've seen this in, Lots of different marketing paradigms, right? The, you know, targeted content in general, right? Like the guys outside Grand Central Station doesn't sell umbrellas on the sunny day, but on the rainy day, <laughs> he makes a killing. You know, and so like that's that's the kind of stuff that we see. Um, do you? And this is to either of you. Feel free to jive, now that we have creative and research really going head to head now. Um, I get. I'm kind of both. I can do both. Uh, but you know, what what do you feel is is kind of the 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 kind of state of the of the audio space here though are we still just too new because it does seem like people there's not a lot of well this company did that so we do it all the time we always do research so we're going to have the guts to go with it when it didn't work because we're going to keep testing it it seems at least and from my perception is a little bit of a i tested it and then i'm not going to look at it again because that's because the in industry and audio advertising and some of this stuff is still kind of immature what are you seeing from both sides the creative and the research side of this are, are people invested in this or is it still new I'm gonna let Jessica take that first from a research side and then we'll see whether the creative <laughs> side of the building gets the same client effect. So sure, absolutely. <laughs> yep, so a large part of what we're doing day to day is it is still new and we definitely are still just trying to paint the picture of how audio fits in to the bigger portfolio, right? Like a lot of what Lauren was talking about, the investment that goes into building a brand, building a sonic brand, or just building a brand more generally, that takes years and years of work. So a lot of what we're doing is trying to paint the picture of how does audio complement what you have in a non-audio space, right? Like you have an existing um, strategy and how can we have audio complement that? So how does the storytelling work from an audio lens where it can reinforce what's already happening? And that that's a lot of the conversation. Since we do have audio, video display, ad formats, um, it's about what's the complement of how they work together. So when we look at the, the research, a lot of the data we're looking at is, okay, 
what's the right proportion of audio to invest in? Like, how do I take our existing video and, and complement that with the broader assets? And even so before we're talking about evolving audio from a creative standpoint, we're focused on just how does the audio fit in overall with a lot of the clients who are still dipping their toes in? And so we have, you know, we've learned in general that you should have at least 60% of your media plan against audio. Like on our platform, we've seen that's the most effective within Spotify, like your Spotify plan. And then you can have like up to 20% video. And that's like a really nice balance and no more than 30% display. So these are kind of like the general best practices where we're seeing that your brand lift and sales lift and visitation in store is going to be the strongest. Like we see it time and time again. So those are a lot of the conversations we're having, like how to incorporate audio effectively. And then within our other brand partnerships who, as I said before, like really are very invested in audio and and have figured out that it's so important for them to be investing in. That's really where they're like, okay, I have this creative idea or I I tried this on this platform. What does that mean on Spotify? And how can we work with your creative team to build that and then test that in market um, to really see like what's going to work best for our different audiences? Okay. There's your chance for the rebuttal, Lauren. Yeah, that was great. I think I think we're on the we're on the exact same page, and I, I think it's that we. So for us at this point, um, Sonic Branding has been around for some time, and the examples that people walk in with have now been around for almost twenty years, like Intel, longer than twenty years, McDonald's. Um, you know, you get these quotes of these brands like, "I want this," and you're like, "Cool." So they've been invested for over nineteen years in that Sonic identity, and and. We just now have enough brands who have done this successfully for people to be like, okay, I get it. Like it really takes an investment in the creative and it's not at a campaign level. It's developing something that I know that I can approach with longevity. It can continue to evolve. It can continue to change, but I get the importance of consistency. I get the importance of saturation. And I would say those were really hard conversations even three years ago, but it's really changed over the last couple of years. And I think the growth of data behind audio has changed that discussion. People look at that um, list of Sonic logos. They they know how they perform. They understand how long some of them have been in market, and they understand that a Sonic identity is just like a visual identity. Um, you're really committing to it. That's exactly right. Look, we see changes year over year in our audio logo index. Um, like look at Liberty Mutual, for example, like changing over time. We've seen small changes like this year. AutoZone made some small changes to their logo, and that that had an effect on the performance. Those are that's and that's again the Sonic identity or the audio logo is just a piece of the puzzle as, as Jessica and, and Lauren, you both highlight, this is part of an ecosystem. And I remember in starting Baritonic was like, I, I just felt like music in a TV spot wasn't getting a fair shake. Um, you know, that's, that's one example of it. And then you think of just audio in the, in the media buying landscape or audio in the marketing landscape, you know, not getting a fair shake. Well, that's, that's definitely changing. And, and the fact that we're here on audio, audio day in and of itself shows that we're going in the right direction. So last, last little question for you, and we'll just give you a brief answer to this one because you know, we have to have something topical. Social audio has been like crazy lately as far as just hearing about Clubhouse, being asked to be on Clubhouse or talk on Clubhouse or Twitter spaces. If a client came to you and said, you know, I want to get into social audio, what should I do? Just, just uh, you know, give me the 30 seconds of, of what you think about social audio and what you'd say to somebody who's interested in it. 
I think it's really fun and I think it's unexplored. And there's a lot of opportunity for people to do things that are different because I haven't seen it done. Like, wow, that nailed it. Um, I haven't seen it yet, which is great because that means there's the opportunity for someone to nail it. Um, but the medium is different. The medium is specific. So how does that start showing up? I, I don't think that brands have really gotten into, um, really gotten into the strategy behind that yet. Um, but it's going to be interesting. And I think like everything else, just like digital audio did, it's going to start off kind of, mm, and then it's going to evolve as everyone gets more sophisticated. You see what works, you see what stands out and what gets buzz. And I should have mentioned, by the way, that Spotify acquired Locker Room recently, which is, is a social audio platform as well for sports and, and sports conversations. Jessica, what's your take on, on social? Similar in that who knows where we will go, right? But I think what's most intriguing about it to me personally is similar to how with podcasts, you can really create that emotional connection and have those one-to-one relationships between like host and participants. And you can do that in the live environment. So I just think it's so interesting for brands who want to tap into very topical um, opportunities that they can't do in all advertising formats, right? Um, but with that, there's a lot to think about in terms of, is this the right context for me? Like, how do we ensure that this is the the right place? And that also that Spotify, as an example, is providing um, a safe and, and appropriate place to connect, right? Um, but for me, it's always, does this make sense with your strategy? Like, it could be cool and new and exciting, but as a brand, like, does it really, is it going to drive your business and your bottom line? And, and is it somewhere you want to invest in long-term or is is it more of just kind of like a, a fun and, and fleeting opportunity for your brand in particular? We shall see. To that, to that end, Jessica, what, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, what can what exciting and new stuff can we look at from your group and from Spotify you know, in, in the coming months? So hopefully mask-free and out in the open and all that, but what's coming up for, for you? Definitely mask free and out in the open. I, I, I hear that. Uh, so something, you know, I said really increased thought leadership around just the music space and the podcast space in terms of creative ideation, um, best practices in that regard. And definitely we're investing there in ways that we haven't in the past. Um, and I just think more from a research perspective, the, these kind of questions we've been asking, what really works, how does storytelling work in the audio space? Um, how do assets evolve on Spotify and how does that complement the broader strategy? Those are some things we're really interested in and, and investing a lot in, in a, from a measurement perspective. Cool. And Lauren, Made Music Studio, new name, uh, and a lot of new things happening. What's what's going on there and what can we look forward to? Um, you know, I think that Sonic Branding is changing and how we continue to um, meet the needs of clients and the different needs that are coming out. Hyper-targeting is a big topic of discussion and how do you get music and branded music specifically to the scope and scale that brands need for the content they have to create, audio, videos, digital, so many touch points that brands need to provide for. So that's really what we're focused on these days, as well as um, efforts around um, what we call BDJJ, um, Belonging, Dignity, Justice, and Joy, our partners decolonize design. And I know that there's a lot of fantastic work going on in this space, but how do we speak to all audiences? How do we we speak to everyone through sound and music um, with our creators, with our producers, with writers? Um, That's really a focus. Awesome. Well, thank you both for having this conversation with me today. Um, for those who are interested in what we're doing at Veritonic, you can go to veritonic.com. You can check out our new audio ad search tool where you can search for any audio ad. And hopefully that exposes a lot of what people are doing out there so that people can see all these different creative solutions, see how they're 
performing and, and generate new ideas and new insights. Thanks for having us today. Thanks so much, Scott. And thank you to Jessica and Lauren. That was great. So coming up next, Ashley is going to chat with Steve Wilson, the Chief Strategy Officer over at Q Code Media about storytelling and audio. And after that, we're joined by a Hollywood legend. Joe Pantoliano is here today with his daughter and podcast co-host, Daniela Pantoliano, whose podcast, No Kidding, Me Too, features honest conversations about mental health. These are going to be great. So I'm going to hand it back over to Ashley now, and I'll see you back here to wrap this all up in a few. Thanks so much, Michael. I'm here with Steve Wilson, the Chief Strategy Officer at QCode Media, a podcasting company that's really made its name with bringing cinematic storytelling to podcasts. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Good to see you. So I want to just give you a second to highlight some QCode shows because I don't know if everybody's familiar. You're kind of a newer company. So could you just highlight a couple QCode shows for people who maybe aren't familiar? Yeah, certainly. So, um, you know, QCodes really specialized uh, specialized in immersive scripted fiction. And so the company launched two years ago with Blackout, which featured Rami Malek. Uh, they did Carrier with Tessa Thompson, um, you know, Lelfright Game with Cynthia Revo, Hank the Cowdog with Matthew McConaughey. Uh, overall, we've launched 12 shows. We have 15 more in release wow, this year. That's amazing. <laughs> You've really hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, and obviously you're signing some pretty big names here who are traditionally used to acting in film. So I'm curious, what's your pitch to them about why they should care about podcasting and why they should participate in a podcast? Well, one of the exciting things about how QCodes worked is that it's very different than the traditional Hollywood model. So the talent that we work with aren't really just work for hire actors, but they're actually invested in our projects. They're our producing partners actually in the life of the show. So. Uh, as an audio-first company, we're excited to partner with them in creating an innovative new form of storytelling in, in a podcast. Um, and so we just bring them into the project. They're invested with us, creative, you know, creative genius as part of the project. But as the, as the show continues its form, oftentimes in derivative formats, many of our shows are being picked up for TV and film, they're still a part of that project. And they're really excited to be doing something exciting and interesting in audio, as well as really you know, one of the, the one of the wonderful things about podcasting is that uh, it's easier to make a project often than it is in TV and film. Uh, that's in part due to the production costs um, and, and the time cost to them. But uh, they're thrilled to be a part of something that's really seen as innovative and groundbreaking in the in the media landscape. I also imagine it's kind of an easier way to see if something works. Like if you are dedicating a huge team to going out and filming a production versus trying it out in the studio first, I imagine that's a good way to kind of find find the right way to approach a story. It definitely can be. And I think, you know, big picture, we're all inspired by, you know, many of the fan favorite franchises that we we love these days. And they often start in different mediums. So, you know, I'm, I'm taking my kids through the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. Their first watch through many uh, classic films, Iron Man, Spider-Man. And it's, it's amazing to see their love of those characters. And they now have the Lego sets and everything else. But, uh, you know, it's it's cool to think about the next fan favorite uh, character actually originating in audio rather than comic books or books or just straight to TV and film. And uh, and you're right. You know, you can you can do something in audio that might be uh, a little bit quicker or 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 certainly. You know, one of the the wonderful things about podcasts is that it really encourages your imagination. You can see the character in the way that you imagine them uh, as you're just listening to a voice and sound effects in a world in your head. Uh, so it's a really fun listening experience as a way to get to know a character. That's so interesting because, you know, you and I obviously know each other from the past and 
I hadn't heard that before, and it's so it's it's very fascinating to think about the idea that you could create an entire franchise that people really connect to on an emotional level through audio, where they're coming up with this character in their mind. Do you find that to be something that like? Is that a challenge, though, also, in a way, that, like, you're not being prescriptive with what a person maybe looks like, or is that actually an advantage? I think, I think it is an advantage. You know, um, we, we talk about this a lot at Q Code when it comes to really investing in visual designs, which, which is something we really pride ourselves in. We, we go out and partner with incredible um, artists and illustrators who design all of our cover art, and we're always trying to sort of balance that line of, giving enough information about the show and enough of a visual identity to the show to make it appealing and interesting. But, but, but often, you know, trying to leave, um, you know, the, those gaps to the listener's imagination. And um, we, we're trying out different things. Sometimes we'll, uh, we'll illustrate or animate character artwork. Other times we, we haven't done that. We just um, design and illustrate a thematic element from the show. Like in Carrier, uh, that podcast is a, a really exciting one. It, you're, you're listening along with a big rig truck driver as they're realizing that there might be something in the back of their big rig that's actually alive. And uh, part of that cover art is just the the, the semi truck um, in a really cool way, but you don't see the characters themselves. You know, we, we're going to play around with that more and more to sort of decide what the listener wants to see. But, but overall, we love this opportunity for users to really engage their imagination. And one of the thrilling things has been to see the listener response. Uh, there are artists out there who are making fan art of their own and uh, drawing the characters as they see them from themselves. And that's a really exciting thing to see. I mean, that happens all the time, again, with these major, you know, franchises we love, whether that's, you know, Pixar or Marvel, and uh, are thrilled that people are, are doing the same thing with the Q-Code show as well. That's really cool. And obviously, because audio is the medium, I imagine you have to do a lot of work with sound design. I think you guys won one of the Podcast Academy Awards for sound design. We did, yeah. We won. We were fortunate enough to win three uh, of the Ambies, the new Podcast Academy Awards, uh, just this week. So we're really excited about the, the the nomination and the award. And we're going deep on that side. On, on the technical end, we are investing heavily. We have an amazing partnership with Dolby where we're actually producing and mastering all of our shows in Dolby Atmos. And um, on the podcast platform side, Dolby Atmos isn't yet available. You, you actually can't listen to those files yet on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We hope soon. But um, as of right now, we're, we're really at that bleeding edge of making content on the high end of audio, even though the average listener can't experience that yet today. And I imagine that's extremely critical to bringing these shows to life without the visuals. We, we think so. Um, you know, the the appeal of these worlds um, is just how immersive they are. That's often a word that's thrown around. But, you know, when you can truly feel like you're in an environment and you're experiencing something a little bit different, it, it, that's exciting. And w worth mentioning, in, in, you know, we, we have talked about this in the past, but, um, you know, on balance, fiction is still very new territory in podcasts, you know. When you think about TV and film and books and, and all these other mediums out there, um, fiction occupies a big percentage of what we consume. But but in podcasts right now, um, there is much more nonfiction, you know, chat shows and those kinds of things, which which are incredible. But at QCode, we really think there's a huge opportunity to kind of, you know, swing that balance a little bit more towards, uh, you know, the average listener really experiencing both nonfiction and these incredible worlds that they want to immerse themselves in, in a, in a fictional narrative. And one question I've always wondered about your shows is 
why do you do it episodically versus one very long show? We're kind of seeing that trend in the industry. So I'm just curious the thinking behind that. Well, some of that is actually, um, there, there's a variety of reasons. I think some of it's uh, based on the ability to get an audience excited over an episodic series. We do think of our shows as these cinematic events in the same way that we uh, all get really um, enthusiastic about a great uh, HBO show that's in release and want to want to watch along, um, you know, and so that that's an element of it. Um, you know, we also are primarily ad supported. And, you know, one of the exciting things for our advertising partners is the opportunity for them to participate in that as a, as a show rolls out and have that opportunity to, you know, have their message communicated within the context of a show over the course of that, that series. As we move forward, we're, we're thinking about different uh, formats for release as well. You know, I really love the idea of a short uh, feature length um, podcast releasing at that, you know, one episode or three episodes length, an hour and a half even for length. Um, but we're, we're really open to experimenting with a lot of different forms in which the shows come out. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up brands since we are at Advertising Week here. How do you work with brands for these programs? Do you help them with the sound design? I imagine they might want to also bring some of these elements of the cool sound design and cinematic storytelling into their ads. So do you work with them at all? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a, a real range that Q Code can come in and help a brand get their message across in, in one of our shows. Uh, everything from really acting as a full creative agency and helping them design something from a from a brief um, to really just more of a, a minor touch if they've got uh, an idea and vision already. We're really open to how we partner in a variety of ways. But, um, you know, what's exciting about fiction podcasts in particular is it does give you that brand safe environment in which you can be creative with your message um, in one of these worlds. So we can do anything from, you know, a pre-recorded scripted series up to incorporating a brand into the show itself. And that's one of the things that we're really excited about is, you know, how a brand might imagine their the characters of our show really in a, in a kind of product placement way, enjoying one of their thematically aligned products to the narrative of the show itself. And I think we're just starting to scratch the surface on that. You know, we had um, an amazing partnership with HEB, the beloved Texas grocery chain, uh, to Hank the Cowdog with Matthew McConaughey, uh, which is a which is a popular book series out of Texas. And for that show, we actually wrote an original jingle that you know listeners wrote us and often thought was a part of the story itself. That 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 brand message was so aligned to the content that it really felt seamless, which is one of the things that we love. So anyway, a, a, as mentioned, you know, we can work with. Uh, brand partners and any number of fashions, just depending on what their goals are and how their uh, product might integrate into the series. The product placement is another really interesting idea I hadn't heard about before. So that's really cool. Do you, in your current shows right now, like do you differentiate through the ads? Like, is it, I imagine, you know, podcasts, we think of host reads. So do you have characters do the reads? Is it more of like, kind of like an intermission sort of thing? Or how do those really sound when you hear them? It, it really has differed, to be honest with you. Um, you know, in some, in, we do try and make it clear where there is an ad break for listeners. Um, you know, we often have presenting sponsors at the beginning of our shows. Then there's a mid-roll break in the in the middle of the podcast and post-rolls as well, which I'll note as an aside, one of the exciting things is, about fiction is this content enjoys a very high completion rate. Our, our show and episode completion rates are nearly 100% because a listener is motivated to listen all the way to the end of the content. Um, 
you know, having worked with uh, podcasters across the industry in a lot of different um, genres, that's not always the case. But, um, but in terms of the ad breaks in the middle, we try and make those feel like an additive part to the con- part of the content. Uh, I'll give you another example. We have a show called Unwanted, which is an 80s style action comedy. And in that show, the host of the, um, the, the show creator, Kyle Chevron, actually did a little intermission where he reflected on the main characters who were these sort of slackers and didn't really have their act together and really commented on how uh, the, the brand that was our partner in the show, MeUndies, how the characters themselves would have benefited from better underwear um, as they you know, didn't really weren't the kind of people that really invest in that area of, of, of hygiene. So it was, it was a fun, self-deprecating kind of series that really positioned the brand as a fun reflection on the show itself. And uh, we're excited about that, having fun with our advertising partners to really make those experiences enjoyable for, uh, for listeners and really get that brand message across in different creative ways. Do you typically bring the brands in at the beginning of sort of like conceptualizing the show or is it more of at the end after the show's conceptualized, you try to find a brand partner that really identifies with the show and thinks it's a good fit? As a, as a fast moving startup, it has been a little bit more of the latter where we've just by nature been producing the show and then sought to bring in brand partners. But like I said, we have 15 shows in development right now spanning, you know, through next year. And so uh, we love to start meeting with brand partners, let them know about what we're up to. We've got shows of all different kinds in fiction. You know, again, if you think about TV and film and what we all love there, you know, we have, you know, horror and sci-fi. We have uh, a musical coming up with, uh, I can't yet reveal the name, but, uh, you know, uh, an incredible musician, uh, you know, more kids and family. Uh, Every sort of genre you can imagine in TV and film, we have shows in those categories. And we're uh, we're excited to talk with brands early in that process and really come up with innovative uh, ways to, to get them involved in the show series. Certainly the, the earlier we meet them in the process and get them excited about the, the shows, the easier it is for us to do things that might be a part of the plot and the story progression. And so then I just also want to give you a chance because I know Qcode is trying something pretty cool and new in the industry. Can you talk a little bit just about Qcode Plus and what that's going to be? Yeah, sure. Um, so we were fortunate enough to be a, um, a, a launch partner with Apple Podcasts uh, with their new subscriptions offering. This is a really exciting area, I think, as the podcast industry continues to grow. We'll see more and more diverse forms of monetization. And specifically, you know, we're going to launch Qcode Plus as a part of Apple Podcast subscriptions. This is going to take fans uh, deeper into these amazing fictional worlds. We're going to offer Um, some uninterrupted listening experiences that can still be brought to you by brand sponsors um, and and really a benefit that we can co-present with uh, a great brand partner. Um, We're going to offer, you know, bonus episodes, alternate endings, uh, you know, creator making of series that are exclusive to this uh, Apple podcast uh, subscription, which again, we're offering called Qcode Plus. Uh, We envision this as being you know, a, a great add to how Qcode engages listeners in a deeper way, but we're going to continue to be, you know, monetized through a mix of both subscriptions and through ad sponsorship. So this isn't taking the place of the great work that we want to continue to do with our ad partners, uh, ad- advertising partners, but just another kind of vehicle through which we think, you know, the podcast industry is going to continue to grow. So cool. You guys are up to so many interesting things. Um, Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me just for a little bit here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ashley. Really appreciate it. Oh, and where can people find Q-Code Podcasts? 
Oh, uh, you can check us out on you know Apple Podcasts and Spotify and every major podcast app, of course, and learn more at QCodeMedia.com. Amazing. Well, thank you everyone who's tuning in for watching, and I will be right back with Joe and Danny Pantoliano, the hosts of No Kidding Me Too. And I'm back. I'm here with Joe and Daniela Pantoliano, the hosts of No Kidding Me Too, a show where they speak with experts about mental health and their lives. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks for having us. So... On your show, as I mentioned, you speak about mental health, and I noticed you launched it in March of this year, and I just wanted to know, was the pandemic a factor in the launch of the show and the idea behind it? No. Um, this is something that I've been into since 2009. Um, we started No Kidding Me Too as a, 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 non, a nonprofit, um, and we made documentaries about uh, – Mental, mental health, mental hygiene, my curiosity around why there is so much, uh, so much stigma and shame. And Daniela and I, um, and most, most every, like most families have had experiences with uh, regulating and managing uh, emotional hygiene. And, and we wanted to work on something together. And this was an idea Danny had for a long time at one point. We were thinking about doing it as a, as a you know talk, on camera talk thing, and then um, we got involved with Gary and Mark Krantz, um, and um, it, it just uh, so happened that there was a dreadful pandemic that was really um, affecting many many humans, so it was all about the timing. Yeah, I, we definitely had this idea and we're developing it. But I would say the pandemic, it was kind of like, now's the time to really hit the pedal to the metal on it because now's the time everybody needs it. Yeah, and I'm curious, you know, as you mentioned, you sort of thought about doing this as a video show potentially. And in the past, you've done documentaries with the same title. Um, why a podcast? What about the medium really made you think this is the way to go? For me, it was they're everywhere. It's like podcasts time right now. Everyone has a podcast and it's just so approachable. And when you're dealing with a topic like this, I think the easier you make it for people, the more they're going to listen and then maybe start talking about their own mental health and hygiene. So for me, podcasts just felt like a no brainer. It's easy to set up with other people. It's easy for the audience members to find and just listen to on their way to work, on their commutes. So I think it was just very approachable and accessible. And for me, technology has really caught up to a time where it is so easy, and uh, and 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 mostly, it, it the podcast market is so oversaturated that we also thought that this kind of conversation is is um, it, there's a niche there that's not been overdone yet and uh and and a service that's involved um to advocate um a, a more friendly open atmosphere we're talking about uh, your feelings and how to regulate and manage getting through your day so you know people who've come in touch with uh emotional distress so what it was like what happened and how you get through the day uh meaningfully um 
in, in managing and regulating the ups and downs of your emotional life. And Joey, I'm sure you are obviously well aware of this, but sometimes, you know, when you put a camera in front of someone, I think they tend to clam up or get a little bit nervous. I'm just curious with your guests, was a podcast and audio kind of also a way to make it easier to have these conversations without them feeling kind of the pressure to look good and not get emotional maybe or whatever? They, you know, they, they maybe get a little bit worried about how they look as opposed to opening up or even for you. Well, it, it, it may have been, but, uh, it wasn't something that I thought about, uh, and it's not been something that that our guests, uh, you know, the idea, uh, high profile, I mean, the ballpark idea is people who have it all, people who've worked really hard, who are incredibly talented, who've gotten their dreams have come true, and yet uh, in, in real life, um, they they have to deal with real life. And we wanted, uh, thematically, we, we think that by people seeing that those folks are having the same kinds of issues that, that they're having, uh, it opens up the conversation um, and, and, and creates a, an incentive for people, uh, uh, regular people, to want to wanna ask and get the help that's going to make them more productive people in life. Especially with the pandemic, it's... Just like hop on a Zoom call with us and let's just talk. And we're just going to record the audio. We'll record the visual too. We probably won't do anything with it. But um, I think it does take away a pressure of like, you know, if this was like a filmed thing or like a YouTube channel, like getting people to come to a place or like putting on makeup and stuff. Like I never wear makeup for any of these and it's awesome. I must say it is very nice to just be 100% <laughs> myself and just talk to these people and not have to worry about looking beautiful. I mean, I'm already beautiful without the makeup, but it, it is nice. Did you feel like uh, prior to launching the show that you needed some sort of training or anything like that to host these conversations? Or are you really just kind of going with your gut here? And I know, obviously, Joey, you've been in the space for a while. So I'm curious to hear how you prepare for these kind of conversations. So we're really lucky to have a team that helps us prepare as well as ourselves. So when we have a guest and a lot of the guests so far have been people I've grown up with that have been my dad's best friends. So that's been really wonderful. It's just like talking to a friend. But I do get nervous and I make sure I'm like reading all the prep sheets and like watching things our guests have done so that I feel like I know them going into it and that I can ask the right questions. But it is, um, I for a while thought, oh, I can't do this because I have to have training. I have to know what I'm doing. But then I was like, maybe that's just my anxieties talking. So the only way... To be able to do it and get through it is to just do it and get through it. So for me, I still get really nervous. Um, and like when we're talking and I'm like, oh, I haven't asked the right questions yet. I, I'm i just like, you know what? Whatever we talk about for our show is exactly what our show has to be because of the topic of our show. Um, you know, some episodes we don't get so heavy into the mental health, but that's okay. Because some weeks you want a bit of a lighter show. Um, and then some guests, we really get into it and it kind of just is what it is every week, which I love. And it takes a little pressure off, but I was very nervous going in and still can be because I want to be the best host I can be. Um, and I think a lot of that is just practice, practice, practice. You just have to keep doing it. The idea of, you know, that, that it's compelling that we, that we're able in this conversation to, to really reach people, 
so that they feel us, you know, as, and, and, and um, are encouraged. And uh, I know that in all of these conversations, I always feel better uh, in having them. I, I feel less alone and, uh, you know, hopefully the pandemic is not going to be here forever. You know, it's getting better, it seems like, uh, but this is something that we can continue to do. And, uh, and this is, this is going to be our future. Look, when I, when I started talking about my emotional, uh, disease and, uh, uh, that, that's like 2008, um, it was, it was taboo and, and my representatives were afraid that I was going to be discriminated against. It's going to affect my work and get jobs. And it's opened up more and more and more. And today I read that, um, that Oprah, and uh, is doing a new show with, with uh, what's his name? Prince Andrew? Prince Harry. Prince Harry. Uh, all, about, all about emotional life. And, uh, and I think it's so encouraging and so exciting because we all have something going on. And, uh, and, and to eliminate the, the, the shame uh, so that you, you, you can talk about your feelings like you would talk about uh, a common cold or, you know, allergies. Like today, uh, Christina, who, who uh, works with us, she sneezed and I said, God bless you. And she said, allergies. <laughs> yes, you, to get to the point where you could just walk in somewhere and be crying and someone says, are you okay? Just life, emotions, let's talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because one thing that I thought was really interesting about you two doing a podcast together is obviously there's a significant age difference between you two. And I feel like the younger generation is sort of a little bit more open to talking about mental health and the idea of therapy and things like that. And maybe people in the older generation, it's seen as even still a little bit taboo. So I'm curious, through your podcast, how do you speak to two generations at once that might have differing views about mental health? So for me, I think with the people who are more in my dad's generation that we've talked to, they've all had childhoods where whenever someone was feeling something, it was, oh, pull yourself up or just get over it. And as they've grown up and as the younger generation has like discovered things, I think they've learned from us to like be more open and talk about it. And I think just the way society's just been changing. Like we've learned, you know, you're, you're not supposed to be acting a certain way like that. Beha certain behaviors aren't okay anymore because it's actually wrong. It's not, Oh, that's just the way life is. That's just Hollywood anymore. It's there are reasons these things affect people and it's not, no one's alone in anything. Um, so I think the generational gap thing is something very interesting about us and I love talking to the people in the older generation and hearing about how when they were younger, how it was even more taboo and shameful and you don't talk about anything and how they have learned just through living and their own self-exploration how to change that conversation and deal with their trauma in childhood. Um, and then talking to younger people in my generation, there's still a little shame sometimes, but I feel like it's personal shame. It's like if you talked about it, people wouldn't have an issue with it, but you feel like there's an issue, so you don't even get to the talking about it part. Um, but 
it's lovely to see my generation and the generation younger than us being so open and honest about their feelings because it's, I think, the one thing that could just cure everything, just talking. But for me, what I'm trying to get down to is eliminating the negative behaviors, the harmful, painful behaviors that are that are the byproduct of your emotional distress. So, so that, you know, teaching kids uh, in preschool, uh, in kindergarten, uh, behavioral modification methods like yoga and, and talk discussion and that feelings are okay and changing the mindset of, of um, American mindset uh, where you work hard, you get go to great schools, uh, you, you get a great job, you get married, you have kids and then you'll be happy. Um, you know, so we're a culture that waits for us to break before it provides help. And I, and what I'm trying to get to is eliminate all of the painful, um, co-diagnosis, uh, 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 dual diagnoses like, you know, obesity uh, or uh, alcoholism or drug addiction or, um, you know, self-harm. All of these things are expressions to ease the pain. The, 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 the wrong choices to ease the pain. So we want to be able to teach you really right away how not to get into those negative behaviors. And something my dad has said too is, which I really love, is that also getting rid of this idea that life is about being happy. Like in the American dream and being happy all the time. Like we're not here to make you happy. We're here to help you have the tools for every single emotion you feel, happy or sad. It's, the goal isn't happiness. The goal is living a life where you can manage your emotions. For you, you know, why do you think brands should attach themselves to sort of these shows like yours about making mental health approachable? Um, and what, what kind of makes your show different from the other ones out there? Well, because one in four so, people are diagnosed with, with, diagnosed with some form of mental illness, which, which equals four in five Americans um, that are affected by that mental illness. And so we're, we're providing a service um, that a, a lot of brands, or I mean, there's a lot of people who, who, um, who are messed up and need help. And, uh, <laughs> and, and there are a lot, of, a lot of companies that can provide that service, you know, just like what we're doing right now. There's so many uh, new forms because of COVID that are computerized um, therapies that people literally, I don't know anybody in my house that's talking to their doctor every week, not on their computer. Everybody's on the computer now. So the exciting part of the ability to get help vis-a-vis -vis your laptop is going to change a lot uh, for all of us. And also we, mental health affects everyone, as my dad say. So I don't, why wouldn't a brand want to, you know, be attached to something that literally targets everybody and meant like we talk about all the different ways you can help maintain and manage your mental and emotional health. So, you know, when I dream of brands that would work with us, it's not just the therapy brands, but it's also the brands like the, that the food delivery services, because cooking and what you put into your body is so important for your mental health. You know, brands that are 
about uh, fitness, um, uh, travel, even like just those anything that is good for your mind and your heart and your body can be attached to a mental health podcast and especially ours and family stuff. We're, we're father and daughter. Um, so I think there's just a lot of opportunities for people to work with us and we want to work with them and especially brands that want to help people be healthy, not just be happy, but be healthy and have all the tools to maintain that health. So I'm curious if you have a couple episodes you want to highlight for maybe people who are watching and would love to check out the show. I My... Oh, I Bonnie, Bonnie Hunt. <laughs> Bonnie Hunt's a beautiful episode. Um, I love the one we talked to Jordan um, Burnham, who was a big part of why my dad started his documentary um, called No Kidding Me Too. His story's amazing, and he's uh, he's around my age, so it's the younger generation, and listening to his, his story and how he's really turned everything around is incredible. Um, Whale and Pain is a really good... I mean, all of them. Everyone should just listen to all of them. But um, they're really fun because you, you're not like... You don't look at it and think, oh, a mental health podcast. I'm not ready for that today. You look at it and say, oh, Bonnie Hunt. Okay, let's listen to her. Oh, wow, I'm laughing. I'm learning about her career and how she would just call up her, like, legends and just be like, hey, want to get lunch with me? And they said yes. But then you're also hearing about her childhood and how she managed... Um, her trauma and, and dealing with her life today. So like I said, approachable and accessible is how we like to deal with this mental health thing we all have. Amazing. And where can people find your podcast? Anywhere you can listen to podcasts. So Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, everywhere. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think that's about all we have time for. So thank you again for joining us. I'm going to give this back to Michael, and we will see you all soon. Thank you, Ashley. Good luck to you. Thanks, Ashley. And thank you again to Steve, Joe, and Daniela for being here today. I really enjoyed those conversations. Well, that's it for us today. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And if you missed any of the conversations or you want to watch them again, they'll be on demand on the same page that you're on right now. We'll be back on June 15th with another edition of Great Minds at Work. Our streaming edition was so well received that it's back again by popular demand with all new perspectives. Until then, I'd like to thank Ashley for moderating, along with all of our guests for today, Veritonic for a great conversation, and of course, thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. For more content like this, and to learn about Advertising Week's world-leading events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, visit www.advertisingweek.com and follow us on social media. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.